Good morning, everyone. Any of you have ever preached or, or taught, you know that a word, many times a word comes along for some time. Obviously, the Lord prepared for something in your heart for considerable time before you, you share it with people. And, um, and by the way, this is also my second language, Andy, so. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think the, it was very interesting when I started researching into this, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit more um, detail of where this, this word comes from, but I would say what I'm going to bring over to you today is a start of exploration for yourself, because I've been born again, or I've given my heart to the Lord um, about 16 years ago now, and I was absolutely hit right in the middle between my eyes of this with the understanding of a word that I thought I grasped, that I, that I knew what it was about. And it has quite transformed my life in the last month. And it is something that will, there will be a continuous work in my life. And I want to share something about that with you today. And while I was researching this this week, I came across a very interesting article, which I think the scientific and the people into psychology here would find very interesting, but it definitely applies to all of us. If you should, if you have to take a calculated guess, how many books do you think have been published on Amazon in the last three months about happiness? Would you think a hundred is a lot? Would you think two hundred books published about happiness in three months is a lot? So how about a thousand? A thousand books have been published on Amazon in the last three months about happiness. Our happiness is something that really concerns us. And it is something that is thrown our way in every single aspect of our lives. If you just think, you know, sometimes my memory goes back to the advertisements uh, in the old movies um, when it was still a really special thing to go to the movies. You know, you, I remember even as a child, first you watched the Tom and Jerry stuff that you couldn't see on television or anywhere else, so that was quite funny. And then it was Peter Stuyvesant. It was these Peter Stuyvesant ads. Now, it's, there was two typical ads that I can remember. The one was the people skiing on the slopes and all of that, and then the guy smokes a cigarette and basically say, you'll be really happy and you'll be really in if you smoke this Peter Stuyvesant. So now, for the Europeans, that's quite something out, out there for South African because... I only saw snow for the first time when I was 23 years old, but anyway. And the other ad I can remember was these speedboats, these people just lying on the speedboat and just going over this turquoise water and so on. I mean, absolutely idyllic. But it basically said, you smoke that cigarette, you'll be very happy, you'll feel like a guy on a speedboat going over the Croatian turquoise waters. The, the connection that people have been making in psychology, if you, if, you, if you listen to all the self-help books and the programs going on, is basically saying the following. Happy life, if you feel happy, you'll be healthy. Happy mind, happy body. Happy mind, healthy body. That's the connections people have been made. And I, maybe just as an introduction to the preach, want to say to you that that is a, actually complete falsehood. The, the Academy for, the National Academy for Science in, in the U.S. were doing studies into the connection between feeling good and meaning of life and what has gotten greater impact on your body. And these guys discovered some incredibly interesting stuff. Um, and I'm just going to read here. Happiness without meaning characterized a relatively shallow, self-absorbed, or even selfish life, in which things go well, needs and desires are easily satisfied, and difficult or taxing entanglements are avoided, the authors of the study wrote. If anything, listen to this, if anything, pure happiness is linked to not helping others in need. While being happy is about feeling good, meaning, meaning is derived from contributing to others or to the society in a bigger way. Um, 
Then what these guys did is they've, if you've followed anything about neuroscience, neuroscience have gone through a leap like this in the last two, three years, something incredible, to the point that um, there's a very interesting Christian woman that's got things out now that can basically show you the good thoughts and the bad thoughts in your mind, that it's literally like forests that you build up in your mind of good thoughts and bad thoughts. They can now, with people that have been paralyzed for years, they can ask them to play tennis in their heads, and they can see how the guy plays tennis in his head. They can monitor that in your head. Also, they can say now, by monitoring it, they can tell you, are you thinking about rugby? Are you thinking about drawing? Are you thinking about sex? They, they know where these things operate in your brain. They can also tell you if the thoughts that you are thinking are happy thoughts, and if they are sad, if you are in a place of, of mourning, these things are all being, they, the, the study of neurology has got to that place where they can monitor these things. Basically bringing a number of things together, I don't want to go into much detail into it. Bad thoughts is literally like inflammation. It produces inflammation in the body. And what these guys, now listen to what these guys have found. When in the pursuit of happiness there is no meaning, These scientists were interested in how the body, at the genetic level, responds to feeling good, feelings of happiness and meaning. Cole's past work has linked various kinds of chronic adversity to a particular gene expression pattern. When people feel lonely or are grieving the loss of a loved one or are struggling to make ends meet, their bodies get into a threat mode. And I don't want to go, there's a lot of detail, but basically, when you're in threat mode, your body fights viruses. Sorry, it fights bacteria. Because it's normally in isolation, the threat is bacteria. But when you are happy, you're among a lot of people and your body is in fighting, in the fighting mode for viruses. Very complicated, but just believe me, well, just believe them. Now what they found was that people who are happy, but have little to no sense of meaning in their lives, proverbially simply here for the party, have the same gene expression patterns as people who are responding to an enduring chronic adversity. Now what I want to put to you is I believe that we have been sold short on the pursuit of happiness as a cause in itself. And that is why I'm saying today, what I'm going to preach today, I'm going to, my, the, the, the name of the sermon is Becoming Gentle Giants. Becoming Gentle Giants. But what I'm saying, I believe, is so far-reaching, is so encompassing in our, in, our, in our entire lives. There's so many things to consider. This is just the start. I want to plant the seed in you this morning. Because you will have to think about what has been, what have you been receiving, both from the world, in like the Peter Stuyvesant ads, or all the other ads that you see on television, in newspapers, magazines, but also what the church have been telling you. I'm talking about the church in large. What have you taken? With what promise did you come into the kingdom? Was it the pursuit of happiness? Possibly finding happiness? Or was it to understand and get meaning to your life? To have a calling upon your love beyond yourself? Now, what, is, what has prompted me to um, into this was that our home group, we decided that each one would get a, uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit to present to the home group. And so each week somebody came and sometimes we let it go on to a, a second week and it was just very interesting. Each person could choose his fruit that he wanted to present on. I basically didn't think much. And the, the, the thing was, the second last week, I think we did last week, we did gentleness. This is the last one. And um, to be honest with you, I was absolutely gobsmacked when I realized that I never understood the meaning of gentleness in my life or in any way. For me, gentle was, gentleness was always related for me to personalities. You get extremely gentle people. 
extremely, for me it was loving, people that express love and affection and sometimes generosity also towards you. That's what I thought was gentleness. And there was, sometimes with my extreme um, extrovert personality, that was one of the things that I thought God just genetically did not program me to be great at this, at this fruit. But as you will see later, it is not the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe just go into your Bible. Let's go to Galatians um, 5, 22. And I think what, what I want you to, to look at here is that it is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And what I want to show you from that is that these are, I would say, almost different, for me, a, a way to explain it. It's different barometers on your dashboard of your maturity in Christ. These things do not stand alone. You cannot have much fruit of love and have absolutely no peace. It's an overflow of Christ in, in you. So let's just quickly, quickly read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these, against such, there is no law. So, the, the word, just quickly, the word for, for gentleness is prahautes. The Greek word is prahautes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift up out this word in so many instances in the Bible, I'm going to, no, not too many, that you get discouraged. I'm going to give you four examples of where it's mentioned in the Bible to give you a better understanding of what this word, gentleness, really means. Now, the first meaning of gentleness is meekness. Now, what was very good for me is that I'd never connected the two words with each other, number one, but it did confirm the teaching that I always had, that meekness is to have power and strength under complete control. That's, that is, it, is what Jesus, it is what Jesus demonstrated when he was standing in front of Pilate. And these guys were, were bringing all kinds of accusations against him. And he said, I can bring the armies of heaven upon you, but I choose not to. It is what Stephen said when he, was, when he saw Jesus. He could have, I believe that any person when you're about to be killed and you see Jesus, I think the average person would say, now Jesus come and kill them. Save me. But just say, I'm coming to you because I perceive that this is your will. Now, to sum up, and I say it's very good to sum up your whole sermon right at the start. Gentleness is not about an outward expression of love or anything like that from your life, firstly. Gentleness is actually an inward yieldedness to the will of God in your life. It is an inward acceptance of God's dealings with you. And you know what has struck me is I've got this... As you all know, we have got certain things that we pray every day. And one of the things that I always pray is, I always say, God, today I submit myself to you. And I, and I say that scripture, I submit myself to you, God. I resist the devil and I believe he will flee from me. That is one of the scriptures I pray every morning in my life. But you know, one of the things that the, the last month that the Holy Spirit has been convicting me of is, he's been asking me every time I say that, are you submitted? Are you submitted? Is that area of your life submitted? Is that area of your life submitted? And it, I tell you, it was like a, my wife said, I shouldn't, it's my one, I use my one, I tell you. Okay. I use my one, I tell you today, okay. Um, it hit me like a hammer between the eyes. 
Because I realize that this, I realize that this lack of understanding of gentleness, the first thing that I saw was the lack of understanding of gentleness in my life as a Christian is the thing that, I, that makes me ask why, why, why so many times. But I also understand that this, and we cannot really attribute it to non-believers, but it's also the fact that there's no a complete lack of gentleness in the lives of Gentiles or unbelievers, that they have no understanding of the working of God in somebody's life. The place that I want to direct you to, to start thinking about, is what really happened. And I'm, I'm not preaching here today. This is not a preach for salvation. This is a preach of the rest of, for the restoration of salvation. Because the question I want to ask you is, and I'm preaching to you as born-again believers who, many people say born-again some people say, I was born again. But another, I said, I gave my heart to the Lord. Many people say, I gave my heart to the Lord. What does it mean that you've given your heart to the Lord? My, my son did not choose that I should be his father. I was given that privilege. Sometimes I hope that God can be, sometimes I hope that I can show the gentleness towards him that God is showing me. But if our understanding of gentleness is just back-rubbing of loving, of receiving love and grace and blessing, then the experience that we anticipate from God is going to be wholly unsatisfactory. It's going to be a massive contrast. The theology that you built in your, in your head about how you should experience God and how, would, how God would go about with you. So, I want to bring to you four elements of, of gentleness. But first, let's go in our Bibles to First Timothy. And I think it's part of the... This is part of the root. Now, Timothy, I think, for me... Nothing bad is written about Timothy, although he had a bad stomach. And but let's first go to First Timothy, First Timothy six, verse eleven. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Love, patience, and the last one is gentleness. Paul tells Timothy, pursue these things, and one of them are gentleness. And it's the same word, prahatis. But he says, flee these things. What is the things that he should flee? Let's go to verse 6, just above that. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having good and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. What should we flee? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It goes on. It's part of this bombardment, and I think we need to call a spade a spade. But I believe that one of the big connections that the world and even the church through the prosperity movement and everything around that taught in an unbalanced way was that happiness equals having money. And here specifically, specifically, Paul addresses and say, do not pursue these things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. 
Now, one of the things that you will see is that gentleness is actually not something that is delivered through DHL. Gentleness is being developed in you, in that pain that you have right where you are at the moment. That thing that you are struggling with right where you are at the moment, which has not been resolved for years maybe, the prayer that hasn't been answered for a very long time, that is part of, of gentleness being developed in you. Again, I want to go back to the definition. It is an inward yieldedness to God's ways in you. It's an inward yieldedness to God's ways in you. So the first element is I want to go to is sacrificial submission is the first one. Now, luckily, this is not just for the woman, it's for men and everybody here. Now, we don't like this word, submission. But submitting under the hand of God, submitting under the hand of God in times of trial, in times of waiting, that is where it's like a, a dynamo. For me, it's like, just in my mind's eye, I saw these, you know, these cars that the little... The little boys have here that they wind back like that. You know, when the goes eventually go, and you know that spring is just going to... And sometimes we feel like our spring is wound back like that, and God, it can probably not get any tighter. But every of these works that we go through that God does in our life is like a spring being wound up, the spiral being built up. And it's then for... When you get into the place of true true gentleness and meekness is to know when it can be released. When this power, when this understanding of the ways of God have been, been formed in you, when it can be released into the kingdom, into your family, into the world. It relates to me, and that is what I want to go back to, the first thing I said. When, when you gave your life to the Lord, you basically got onto a program. Because we all, the church have been preaching, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking on complete generalization. Out there on the internet, you can find a lot of blessings. A lot of sermons about blessings and all the rest. But discipleship, getting onto the program of God, has got an other side to it. That is very, very clear. Best illustrated by probably Philippians 1 verse 6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now just listen to me if I say it like this. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The problem that we all have is that God is more committed to complete the job of maturing you until the end. Not the job of making you happy. And that is the sad thing. And that is where, I can tell you now, I haven't prepared this, but I'm just, I want to say this. I had a problem the first couple of years that I was in Forest Town Church because there wasn't a lot of altar calls made. But you know, I learned something else from Ant around altar calls. And I've learned through my maturing in Christ that an altar call can be a very dangerous thing. Because I'd rather sit somebody down and really tell somebody, what, what are you getting yourself into here? Who is God? Do you know who is God? He is I am. He made you. His program is a tough program. It is like saying to Joel, come to me and say, I am the, the American Marine Corps. And he says he wants to be an American Marine. Do you think the American Marine Corps say to people, come on, join the Marine Corps, it's really nice. Everybody likes you after this, you're the strongest, toughest guy around, you'll be respected the rest of your life. They don't tell you that. They say to you, do you know you can die? Firstly, you can die within the first three months of training you, then you can die 
on the 10 missions that we're going to send you on the first two years, then you can die the rest of your life shot by spies or whatever. You will never be the same again. You will probably be, you will be a different person. Do you understand that that is what you're signing up for? I know that's extreme example. But when you said, Jesus, I give my life to you, what did you actually say? He said, I submit myself to die. I just want to say, I'm, not pre- I'm preaching to the saved here. Yeah? We signed ourselves up to die. And God is helping us. Let's be mature about it. It's not about putting on more nappies, giving more milk. I want to share with you two visions which I, I thought was really blessed at that time, but I didn't realize really what it can, what will encompass, what it will... The one where somebody gave me a, a word about a... He saw this horse that was very wild, and then eventually this walked was... This horse was walking without any um, halter or anything, was walking behind the person, and it was basically saw me as a horse walking behind Jesus and just following. And I thought that was really blessed. But I've realized now what, what it takes to get to that horse that just walks after Jesus from being a wild horse. That is the, pro, that is the process of gentleness in our lives to the place where we believe, where Jesus go, I will be fine. Maybe it will be painful, but it's taking me on to maturity. The other one he showed, the other, uh, a dream somebody had that, that they shared with me was about a boat being blown from a harbor to another harbor. And I thought, oh, that's basically a symbol of me going from Cape Town Harbor to Teesside. But it wasn't really that. It was also, when you lift that anchor away from your soul, when you start pulling up that anchor, when you say, Lord, I give my life to you, I want to be born again. I want to be like Jesus. What you do is, you lift up the anchor, and that anchor was hooked into everything in the flesh that gave you comfort. Everything in your family that gave you comfort. Everything in your culture that gave you comfort. Everything in the society, in your job. Everything that built your self-esteem. You lifted that anchor and you said, Let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow me onto where I should go. And there's many of us that at one some stage, you take that anchor and you throw it back. Back to where you came from. Because really, it's there's just mist. You cannot see where it's going. You're sure that God is not on this boat. Because He will not take you through the Atlantic, through the South Sea, through 10 meter waves. He will not let your boat start leaking. But the promise is you'll stay in the boat. The promise is you will get to the place. But there will be times when you are not sure where you're going. And I want to encourage you. I I was reminded of one of the best rugby camps that I was ever on in my life and physically and mentally did a lot for me. We went to a South African Marine, the, we call it the Reckies, for a camp for a week. And we, know, we knew that we were in for something when they took us into a room. And for the first time ever, they basically asked us to sign a form. And they asked us that at no stage would we basically walk away or backchat the, the sergeant majors from the South African Reckies this is in the 90s, 90s where they were still fresh and still remembered the Boer War and the Bush War and every other war. But I saw men cry. I saw men cry a lot. I saw guys give up on their dream of playing rugby provincially at the top level because it was so tough. But I always also remember that nobody said anything. Everybody wanted it. And sometimes in our lives, we need to remind ourselves, we signed up for this. Although it sometimes looks crazy, look crazy in our lives. 
it just look as if it cannot be from God, then remind yourself, a blessed guy like Paul, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped, ridiculed, spat on, jailed. What is the testimony of the blessings of God in his life? We're almost there. The second one is selfless humility. I've touched on that. Let's, uh, let's turn in your Bibles to Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 1 and 2. I'm very grateful for Roger, who's at the night shift, to be here this morning. Part of our home group and hosting. Shows great commitment, Roger. Again, this is another example of the word proates, which we are talking about gentleness now, but in this example it's used as humility. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authority, authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. I'm not going to be long on this one, but I want to, again, let's just say I want to implore you, I want to encourage you. What we see a lot is, you know, I cringe. I'll tell you something funny, just to break the, the atmosphere a little bit. When I was at university, there was a guy called Bobby Skinstad who played for the Springboks. He was much younger. But he was like a captain at the age of 18 or 19. And very, a lot of Christians, everybody's a Christian basically in South Africa because you will be, you would have been looked on very badly if you say you're not a Christian. So there's different degrees of being a Christian. Anyway, but I know Bobby's father is a Christian. But the, the coach, we normally pray before we kill each other, we pray <laughs> that we won't be killed as badly as the other guys get killed. That is basically. So we had this prayer, you know, in a huddle, you know, blood, sweat, and tears coming out of everybody. Now we're going to pray. And so all of a sudden the coach said, Sir Bobby, you pray. But he was so flustered. Coming from an English background in South Africa, not really praying, you know, it's not good to pray before rugby game. So there was like 10 seconds of complete silence. And then he said, Lord, for what they're about to receive, make them truly thankful. <laughs> but, but you know, People say that in, people say that prayer in English before a meal. In Afrikaans, they do it even more. And normally I go, don't do that, don't say that. I don't want God to make me thankful for my food. I am thankful. But this is again a reminder for a mature audience. We have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. The Bible is full of that. The harshest one of it all is James 4 verse 6 that says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And from that, I will argue, from that verse, that God resists the proud, I'll say to you that it is clear for me, if you're, going to read, if you're just going to read Samuel, the two books of Samuel and the two books of Kings, it's clear that God humbles people. If you do not humble yourself, and if you are on God's program, He will humble you. He will bring you back on the program. Because you are outside of the, the place of being blessed. He wants to get you back into the program. Going on to maturity. People are not preaching these things. God's character hasn't changed. Why is He doing it? Because He loves you. Because He's committed to you. Because He's in covenant with you. Because you being proud is hurting yourself and probably a lot of people around you. Because He's got a plan and a future for you. And it's clear from all these verses, and you can go and look it up, probably the best one is Second Chronicles, Chronicles 7. I can give you a lot more, but... This is the famous one. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. This is where the promise, this is where all the promises come in. This is all, all the promises and the blessing coming is when they, I will hear them. This is the promise. I will hear them. I will heal them. I will forgive them if they humble themselves. And I want to, on this one, just a last thought, I want a selfless humility. I want to say to you that the biggest threat, this is something that you need to go and work out yourself, but the biggest threat in this category is comparing yourself to others. It's hurting you, and it's hurting God, and it's hurting your relationship with God. I was just, I, my, my newest fitness regime is just running with my children, and I asked them the next day if they are stiff, they are not stiff, I am stiff. But what I do is, we go and stand on the, on the cricket pitch, and then I let Judah run, and then I let Kara go, and then I let Maggie go, and then I give myself two meters, and then I run. And then we all see who's there first. But it's very interesting how they react when they get to the other side. Because it's never how they ran. It's when I let, let them go that really determines the winner, they believe. And I'm trying to get away from that, and I've still got my theories around it. But sometimes, when we are comparing ourselves with other people, we do not understand that God has worked out a special program for you. You are on a special program with God. You are not on my program, or Colin's program, or Roger's program. At the highest level today in rugby and football, it's not like the old days where everybody goes into the gym and they say, okay, there it is, there's everybody's program. There's the, the program for the backs, and there's the program for the forwards, and just go and do your stuff, and then you finish with the gym program. It doesn't work like that anymore. Each person got their own program. They are measured, they are weighed, the injuries are, con are, are, are considered, and their weaknesses, their strength weaknesses, each person's program is worked out specifically for them. God is way, way before sports science. He had a special program for each person in the Bible from the beginning of time. Peter's program was light years different from Paul's program. But each, let me tell you, you go and show me a special person in the book of, in this book, a special person here that hasn't gone through a time when he was asking, where is God? Why is my life in this position? I do not deserve it. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm actually better than that person there. It's almost like the person who said to me once in a home group, we have worked out that we could have had much more if we didn't tithe. I mean, you're so far away from understanding the bigger picture. Okay, the last one. Sorry, last two. Teachable spirit. Uh, maybe go in your Bibles to James one twenty one. James 1, 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And that's again, I want to call upon you. This word here, humbly. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That humbly is prohates, the same Greek word, meaning with meaning gentleness because 
I don't know about you, but I have seen in my own life a great work that God has done in my life in the last five years. In this church, but also because of the greater things what's going on in the recession out there, and that there are a lot of people are struggling. And what it has caused is for a lot of people to rethink their theology. Our theology is being challenged. And I've preached on this before. If you cannot accept that what you know now is not the full truth yet, then you are in trouble. Then you will not be teachable. All of us are in different levels of deception. I preached on this before. We know a lot more today than what Christians knew in the 19th and the 18th century. But we possibly don't know what Paul knew. And maybe we have seen other expressions of God that Paul never saw. And Moses saw things of God that Peter never saw. And the people and people today sitting in Colombia or in China are seeing things that we have never seen in our lives. And understanding parts and characteristics and of the spirit that we are still required to experience. And it is a challenge for us as Western people to say to ourselves, we don't know everything. The other thing I also want to say to you is the biggest challenge around a teachable spirit is actually related to who it's coming from. Can you accept? Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, hell, this guy's been making a lot of claims. He's been saying a lot of things. I better go and check it up. What would he know about the Word of God? That's basically a very religious way of looking at things. That is what the, the Roman Catholic Church have been saying for two, de, two millennia. You need to accept what we say. Nobody else can preach unless you are basically the Pope has told you, given you the right to preach. So I'm asking you today, again I'm challenging you, are you willing to accept things that are contrary to your current theology, contrary to your current understanding of this religion? Can you accept things that are hard for the flesh? Can you accept things that are challenging you to the point that you realize more discipline is required? Okay. The last one, and that's just a summary. The, the life that we have in Christ, and I spoke about that two weeks ago after the sermon that the God put on my heart, is this is just a walk, a learning experience. This whole life that we have in Christ is just a continuous learning experience. It will never end until you put your head down, until you are with Christ. We will never arrive. And this part, this one element of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, is really the measure of how we have matured in this walk of growing with Him. And the place that I want to say where we need to come to, a, a great example, the, probably the person's heart we've been able to experience most in the Word of God is David. So I just want to quote to you quickly Psalm 119 verse 71. It was, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. This is the place where David has got to. It's more important than the things that you think you want. And we have to be honest with ourselves. The high things that we have set in our minds that is taking away so much joy of experiencing God in this process of where we are maturing. Who of us can say, like David in the same, verse 67 of also 119, before I was afflicted, 
I went astray, but now I keep your word, for you are good, and you do good. Because it's, it's this understanding that when it doesn't make sense, when it feels as if this exercise is going on for too long, when it feels you're going to have an asthma attack, when it feels your legs are going to give in, when it feels this is not going to lead, it can't lead, in your mind you say, God, this cannot lead to something good. I am getting, being killed. I'm being left behind. Look at where my friends are. Look here, I am being left behind. I do not see anything good come in my life. I tell you, second time, <laughs> you have to believe, like David declared, Lord, you are good, and you do good. I am in your program. Because you want, you are good and you want to do good. You want to teach me your ways. Each one of us sitting here can be a generation changer. You can be the changer of generations. Andy, you can be the changer of generations of people in Romania. Tox, you are the changer of generations in school. Doesn't matter where you go. Craig coaching rugby. Generations being changed. Doesn't matter where you are. You are the changer of generations. But the price you have to pay is you have to get onto God's program. And I want to, and the thing that I've tried to encourage you on today, it is a tough program. It's way tougher than the Reckeys, the Marine Corps, or anything else. You die along the way, but you get revived again. And what comes from the revival is something much better more special, more powerful. Remember, you have made the choice. And if you have regretted at times the choice that you have made, then I believe there is grace. That is what grace is the empowerment to stay on this program. Grace is the empowerment of God to stay on this program. Grace is also the empowerment to forgive God. Because I, I, I believe there's a lot of people here that actually the first person they need to forgive is God. Because they have been striving. You have been striving against God and man. To achieve your goals. You've been fighting with God, not understanding why God do not want your goals to come to pass. And gentleness is the place is to get to the place where we yield to God's plan. Where we put down weapons against God and say, God, give me understanding for just the next step that I need to take. Guide me on the next step of submission. In the next step of humility, in the next step of discipline, in the next step of enjoying this, this road. Everybody just close your eyes. Father God, this is a deep thing, Father God, way beyond my understanding at this moment still, Father God. And, and I pray, Father God, this morning that, that this word may fall in, in fertile ground, Father. I pray that seeds will be planted, that will be nurtured. I ask you, Father God, that we as Western people, Father God, we are so spoiled. We are so soft. We just always want things to be easy and good. We want to be happy. I pray, Father God, for lots of courage, that your Spirit would encourage everyone sitting here to take on the, the challenge that you've set, us be, set up before us, to be changed and renewed in our minds, in our hearts, and in our bodies. We want to walk in your power, in the power of your kingdom. We want to change generations. And sometimes, we have to confess that we always want the easy route. This morning we come and we say, 
by your grace, give us the strength to take the hard route, your route, of change and renewal. I just feel, everybody, just where you are, just keep on closing your eyes. We're going we're gonna to enjoy the Lord's table now. And I just feel if there is anything in your heart this morning that you feel you've actually been fighting with God from the place of your own goals and your own comparing yourself, your life with other people, with your own plans, that so much joy in your life has been destroyed because you have relentlessly pursued your own plans and try and drag God along that path. There's just a general hurt in your heart. I want to encourage you now that you yield yourself before your Father who is in heaven. I pray that by God's grace that you can do that and that you lay down weapons and yet you say, actually, Father God, I want to be trained by you. I want to, I want to be changed and renewed. I want to have a gentle spirit. I believe that you are good and that you do good. I believe that this is what is required for me to experience true joy, the joy that has been eluding me. I pray that you may have the grace this morning to repent of the rebellion in your heart and that the Lord will replace that rebellion with true, true joy and strength to, to walk with him.